Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. At one point, Sandy Alderson was asked this afternoon about the, the perception and the reality of the Mets and how much it's changed. And Sandy's response was basically that, let's change the reality now, worry about the perception later, let that change naturally. Did it strike you today just how different the talk around this team and this offseason has been? Well, I think the perception changed the day Steve Cohen took over the team. I think the perception changed the day that Sandy Alderson took over that that president's role. And um, I think that it's rolled downhill since then. Um, you know, the signing of, of James McCann, the signing of, of Trevor May, those are, are, are smaller deals. But what they did today, I think, is indicative of what they're capable of doing. Um, there's obviously a lot of confidence in their ability to sign Lindor long-term, which gives them the ability to take the gamble of trading younger players for established stars. And um, that's part of the perception that this team is able to make the big move now that they might have been reluctant to make in the past or might not have had the wherewithal to make in the past. And I think that changes the perception of the team. Now, you know, the reality is wins and losses, and, and that will... Um, come to pass when the team takes the field and begins to play baseball. But there's no question that over the last few months, the, the perception of the Mets as a player in Major League Baseball has changed enormously. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Friday, January the 8th, 2021. 
of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Well, Happy New Year. Hope everybody's doing well. And uh, the last time we met here on this program was our Christmas edition of the show, the special holiday edition, where Bill Madden of the Daily News and author of the new Tom Seaver book, A Terrific Life, Tom Seaver, A Terrific Life, uh, joined me. I hope you enjoyed that program. And I really thought we were going to be meeting probably before the new year. The The plan was always to take a little bit of time off for the holidays. And the hot stove, which became the cold stove, really cooperated as nothing was really going on. And originally, I was going to come to you this weekend, and the theme was going to be, hey, let's relax and really give you perspective on running a business and what the Mets are taking on, specifically Sandy Alderson, the historically difficult task of new ownership, building a team, building an organization, building a culture at one time is not something that you can easy pass while you're trying to contend, which is what the Mets are trying to do. And that was going to be a theme. And obviously, when you do shows like this, it gets a little bit challenging to find content when there's no games and there's no news. And then lo and behold, about noon yesterday, the hot stove season, which has been cold for Major League Baseball, got its first spark as the Mets acquire Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. For two prospects, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, the prospects uh, Josh Wolf and Isaiah Green. And now we have something to talk about. And this won't be your trip- typical podcast. This will be, uh, I, don't, I don't know what we want to call it, a short. We'll try to keep it to about 30 minutes. But I wanted to come to you with a reaction right away. Uh, but I wanted to start by saying, again, it's very important to understand that What the Mets are doing, which is Sandy Alderson coming in with Steve Cohen, trying to build a contending team, build up depth in the farm system, lay the framework for the organization and the culture, bring in a GM, bring in an assistant GM, and and they hired Zach Scott, which I thought was a good, like I said when we were talking about the GM situation, cabinet member that the Mets could use who, who has an extensive background in analytics Uh, I thought that was a great hire, and I think the Mets have the best of both worlds now with Jared Porter and his scouting background and Zach Scott and his analytics background. He he comes from Diamond Mine all the way back then. I I believe Diamond Mine used to do the game Diamond Legends, which was was a great fantasy game that I used to enjoy playing back in the day. And it seems like they were ahead of the curve when it came to uh, data, more so than Major League Baseball teams. When Zach Scott was on the Feinson podcast, he talked about that. Uh, during his first tenure or his first job that he took as an intern coming into the Red Sox organization. So understand not only what the Mets are taking on here in terms of historical context and how difficult it is, but that business doesn't run on a media fan cycle. I know what the NBA does. I know the NBA gets a July 1st date. Everybody wraps things up in two weeks. It's wild. It's wacky. It's fun. And away you go. You go on to the summer league and the off season and the next NBA season. But guess what? Different league, less players, different type of uh, situation with the salary cap. Uh, there's a lot more nuance to that than what Major League Baseball has. And I'm not saying Major League Baseball is right. It is very slow. But free agency specifically is like musical chairs. And you have owners and players dancing. 
And somebody's going to get stuck either without a chair or more than likely a chair they don't like. And you may have to live with that chair for more than just one year. Or if you don't have a chair, you may have to suffer the consequences. And it scares the bejesus out of both sides. And now with the pandemic economy, you're seeing even a slower dance. And you're seeing both sides look at each other and say, you know, how can I maximize this situation to get what I normally would get from a player's perspective in a normal economy? And the owners are saying, I've lost 40% of my revenue. How can I still, some of the owners are saying, how can I still compete and win? And and do it in a way which has to account where much of that 40% of that revenue probably is not going to be available for another full calendar year. So put all that together and you have the situation that we're at. And and it's it sucks for fans. It's certainly not cool for the media cycle. But guess what? That's not why we're here. You know, the baseball teams, we're here to talk about things. But the business of baseball is not on uh, our schedule. It's not to make Mike Silva's Talking Mets podcast a good podcast on a Sunday. It's for the players and the owners to get the best deal possible. And it's something that the more you wait things out, the more you look for the other side to blink, the better business decision you make. Steve Cohen may be the wealthiest owner in, in baseball, but he's not about to give another 50 to $100 million away or make a bad business decision so he could win a back page so Joel Sherman could give him accolades or make the fans happy on a Wednesday afternoon so that they have something to talk about or to you know win the talk radio cycle if that's something that people care about anymore. They're going to make business decisions. And he went back at people on Twitter, I am not going to make a bad business decision and I'm not going to force the decision if it's not there. You would think that you know someone comes over from Japan – uh, to potentially sign with big league clubs, Sugano, uh, you would think, um, you know, he was Cy Young, and he winds up going back without a deal, so everybody freaked out for nothing. So anyway, that's where I wanted to start, is base, business of baseball is more complex. Adding to the complexity is what the Mets are trying to do in the near term with how, I mean, how how can you own a team in terms of closing on it on November 1st and then have your new president of operations who has to go out and hire people and build a team at the same time and expect things to happen in the easy pass lane. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. Now, let's get to the trade. Francisco Lindor, Carlos Carrasco to the Mets. Like I said, Rosario Jimenez go the other way with two prospects, Isaiah Green, Josh Wolf. These teams from the start of the offseason, and I've been skeptical because I, I didn't think the Mets could pull off making a deal because of the fact that whatever prospects they had, top prospects, they really needed. Not that they were going to help them on the field in 2021, but they needed to replenish that farm system. And they needed to be very careful about what assets they gave up. And Sandy Alderson said that as much. No doubt the Mets improved themselves. Lindor potentially could be a top 10 player in all of baseball. He's had a couple of years, and I saw what Keith Law wrote, that he attributes it more to plate discipline, where he hasn't been the same offensive player as he was maybe around 27 and 2018. But when you look at the Mets shortstop situation, Rosario, in his best, was a league average hitter. He was undisciplined. He was spotty defensively. Lacked, I believe, the instincts to really improve at the position. I know Gary DeSarcina worked hard at, at helping him. And I liked, and I still like Andres Jimenez. 
but I never thought he was a star. I thought he was a component player that could fit in defensively on an offensive-minded team that struggled with its defense. And you could say, you know what? I got a lot of offense around me. I need the up the middle to be strong. I could live with Andres Jimenez, who probably could be a league average hitter, maybe a slightly above. And and that's all you need. And I liked his speed and his versatility. But let's face it, uh, he's not Francisco Lindor, nor will he ever be. And as far as the prospects, Josh Wolf, high school pitcher, many years away. Isaiah Green seems like he did very well in instructs. Uh, this past at the the offsite, I heard Jonathan Mayo on the MLB Network talk about how uh, impressed everybody was with him. I didn't see him. It wasn't game situations and normal conditions, so who knows? But he's described as a athlete, toolsy guy, and that's why they drafted him with the sandwich pick for losing Wheeler. And let's face it, um, toolsy guys, and we hear this all the time when they're uh, bandied about, they tend to never produce numbers. They always are assessed on projection. And let's face it, projection doesn't win baseball games. At some point, projection has to translate to wins, to success. And a lot of these toolsy guys, it takes years and years and years for it to be to, to be realized. And I think the Mets are in a situation, because they are trying to win now, as well as build for the future, where he was expendable. The fact that Sandy Alderson said on the call yesterday with reporters that they believe they have not touched any of their top five, six, seven prospects is a testament to being able to make this deal. Now, thank the pandemic economy. Thank the fact that the Indians are not looking to compete and that Lindor was on the last year of his contract and the league has said these guys on the last year of their contract, their value is less. I'm taking a risk by bringing them on because I don't know if I'm going to sign them. And the Mets didn't really commit to anything, but with the wallet that they have now, this is not your typical Mets-Wilpon-era situation where you're holding your breath like you did when they brought in a Mike Piazza, or the fact that they stayed away from Mookie Betts or guys like that because they knew quite simply they couldn't get into the deep end of the pool with those kind of contracts. Now they can if they want to. And if they don't, you know what? They still have money. They're not married to one guy. It's not like Lindor or Bust. So the world has opened up for the Mets where they can make this kind of deal. And the pain that you normally would feel about losing a player potentially for the assets you gave up, I'm not sure it's there. Worst case scenario, look, if Rosario turns out to be everything that he was projected, yeah, maybe the Mets will be upset that they lost a very solid player at an up-the-middle position, premium position that can hit. But even you you were reading yesterday, a lot of people are starting to look at Rosario as a backup and a guy who needs to start playing multiple positions to be valuable. A guy with speed who doesn't even steal bases, really. Again, the baseball instincts wasn't there. The other interesting part, and I think this is the part where a lot of executives were upset and they called it a steal, is that the Mets got Carlos Carrasco. And not everybody's talking about him. Now, he's been hurt for a couple of years and had some serious injuries. Five years ago, he had the heart issue, and and then he had the leukemia a couple of years ago, and those are really serious things. And he hasn't had a very good run the last two seasons. And I'll throw the pandemic season. I know he was better. Let's throw it out. you got to go back that he hasn't been a successful 30-start pitcher since 2018. So that's a couple of years ago. But he's every bit what you would have want when he's on and he's healthy, what you would have expected from Zach Wheeler, what you would expect from Noah Syndergaard. You've got uh, Stroman back, and you got some really good 
options right now until Syndergaard comes back in the five spot with Peterson, Mats, who knows who else comes in. Maybe they go out and they try to uh, bring in a scrap heap pickup, a Kluber or a Paxson. Low risk, high reward as the winter goes. That's the ultimate musical chairs because there's a lot of chairs there in terms of, uh, of teams and those players might want to be in a situation where they could be successful. So Carrasco addresses what the Mets need is and it gives them leverage, and we'll get to that in a minute, with the existing free agents that are out there. Both these players coming now takes the pressure off the Mets to have to engage with Springer, to have to engage with Bauer, or let's take it a step down, Odorizzi, Tanaka, whatever pitcher you look out there that is established. There's risk with Carrasco because of the injuries, but now he's giving you some cushion because I don't look at Carrasco necessarily in the same vein as Awaka. There's been more recent success. Leukemia is a serious, serious, serious situation. But by all accounts, the arm, the elbow, all the things that make a pitcher or are necessary for a pitcher to be successful, they're all there. So you have that. So this deal doesn't come with a lot of downside other than the fact that you lost some depth in the organization. And here's an interesting thing, and I brought this up multiple times yesterday. I know you all dislike Brody Van Wagenen. And now that Zach Scott is in the fold, I think the Mets have put together a really solid front office that has, and think about Bill James talking about the top-level stuff and the ground-level stuff that a baseball organization needs. And the top-level stuff is the stuff that we talk about on this broadcast, on this program, all the bells and whistles that are media-driven conversations But the real win in an organization is the ground-level stuff, which makes up a large majority of a successful organization. Things that are not sexy to talk about. Things that are not sexy for the front pages. And when we went into the offseason and you heard about all these guys, I said, throw a blanket over a lot of these GMs. They're all the same to me. They all kind of have the same background. Analytics-based, trying to do more with less with small markets. But the Mets actually interviewed the two guys that each had – a different strength. One in Porter has a big, uh, a big play in scouting. The other is Zach Scott in analytics. And I said that I'd rather have Porter when I started to look at after the hire. I said this was the right hire because Porter and the scouting and player development background is so important. The numbers you can get, it's more linear. I think you could replicate that in other ways. It's a lot harder to replicate the player development scouting part. But they're able to prize Zach Scott away And he's got a very impressive uh, data background. I mean, a guy, like I said, that uh, comes from uh, fantasy baseball back in the day and was a pioneer with that company as one of the people that understood understood analytics before baseball even cared about it. And who better than someone who's pioneered in a subject to come to the Mets and pioneer their foray into being elite or competent? Maybe maybe competence, the first step, clearly the first step, but elite in that. So, um, you know, to me, the Mets are now positioned. They have the right guys. Now it's just about going out and executing the plan, and I know that that's, that's part of it. Where does this bring the Mets next? Because now they've upgraded shortstop in a big way. They've got themselves the arm they need. But I don't think they're done, and I know I read all the commentary. I heard, I saw what Andy Martino of SNY said. And uh, I understand that there's a lot of talk that the Mets now are going to go for quantity over quality. Maybe they go and beef up the bullpen with Brad Han and Liam Hendricks or 
They go out and they spend it on, like I just said, scrap heat. Maybe they try to bring a Kluber in, who I'm not really excited about because he's got shoulder issues, and shoulder issues usually are never good, much less when you're 35. But again, that's another story for another day. Let's focus on the uh, the situation at hand. I don't think the Mets are out on big free agents. I think the Mets now have improved their position in negotiating with the big free agents, and they can afford to not land that. They could afford that their chair, their landing spot, doesn't have George Springer's rear end in it or Trevor Bauer's rear end in it because they've improved the offense. I still think they need another outfielder and they need another bat. If they have no DH, they're fine because Dominic Smith will go and play left field. If there is a DH, right now you don't have a left fielder because you're assuming you have McNeil at second, Alonzo slash Smith at first DH, Lindor at short, J.D. Davis at third, McCann behind the plate, who's your left fielder, Nimmo in center, Conforto in right. Maybe a lot of fans are probably not disagree, not agreeing with me. They say, well, Nimmo's your left fielder, so you need a center fielder. And that's where Jackie Bradley Jr., who's a defensive guy. And maybe that's where they go. Maybe that's not—and I'll be okay—I'm not crazy about Jackie Bradley Jr. I think go for the offense, and, and at this point, I, I, I feel like Springer— if you're going to go and get somebody and you can make that one final splash, go out and see if you can find a way to put Springer in there. He's from the area. Uh, it doesn't sound like there's a big market for him outside of Toronto. And uh, I think Jackie Bradley Jr., who's not only not a great hitter, he's left-handed, but he's a great defensive center fielder. That's basically the Jimenez center field. I could live with it because of the offense around them. Remember, this was a top-five offensive team. And even with losing Cano, I didn't feel like they were going to be awful. I thought that was a blow. This uh, this is a top offensive team that got better and has gotten better defensively at key positions this offseason. So those positions not only improved offensively in both by McCann coming in at catcher and then Lindor, but they're exponentially better defensively. So you, you, you've you improved in, in a big way. You have not hurt your strength. You've made your strength much stronger, and you've made your deficit very strong, much, much stronger. And the bar was low. So to me, the Mets now can really hang back and play the long game with the market. And that has been the underlying topic that nobody's talked about because it played into their decision decision to jump on James McCann. Knowing it, it appears the big three free agents, and we shouldn't be surprised, Real Muto, Springer, Bauer, they want to play this out to the end. They may want to play this out till March 1st. Let's assume that spring training starts on time. But the way that players now can be owners of their own health and development, they don't need to report on February 15th. Because they're probably already doing the things that they would be doing with an organization already. Because they're, they're especially a guy like Bauer's taking ownership in his career. It's a much different situation. Much different. I don't know their family situations. That's a whole separate thing. But some of these guys who've made some money, maybe are younger, maybe don't have the family responsibilities or they're at an arc in their career where they know they're going to get a job because of their age. They can play a little bit more fast and loose. Maybe they fall into that. But these players want to drag this out to the very end because they know they're going to get a job. Mets didn't want to drag three major areas that they needed to upgrade to the very end because they knew the odds were they weren't going to land all three. 
and they may not have landed two out of three the more they got to the end and the more competitive they got. And of course, from a business perspective and a dollars and cents, it was going to cost them exponentially more the more desperate they got. So they went out there, they plugged the first one, goodbye Real Muto, and then throughout the offseason it appears, from when Alderson took over and then even before Jared Porter got in, they were engaged with Cleveland. If you remember, there was actually a time where there was some kind of Instagram video with Rosario, I believe, where his buddy or Rosario had said something about Cleveland on the video. And everybody said, oh, did he go to Cleveland? Is he in a Lindor trade? And it was dismissed right away. But maybe there was some smoke there. It looks like this was going on for a while. So the Mets had their hedge your bet. They kept it quiet. And now they hold all the chips. So there's George Springer, who apparently has a deal for about 115 or so million with Toronto. Does he want to go to Toronto? Or does he want to try to say, hey, Mets, what's the equivalent of my $115 million in Canadian dollars for the Mets? Uh, you know, he wants 170 He's not going to get it now. I mean, unless somebody wants to jump in. Who knows? You never know what teams jump in. As you get later and later in the game, there's always that mystery team and there's an owner who gets itchy. Although I don't think the owners are going to be all that itchy, itchy right now. Remember, 40% of the revenue is out the window. And you're all smart who listen to this program. If 40% of your revenue is gone, it's going to impact your, your business decisions. It's going to impact your income. It's going to impact a lot. That's a huge hit. You don't believe it. That's a whole separate story. I can't argue with you. I don't know. We don't know the books. But it's there. It's big. Losing the fans in the stadium experience, it's big. So it might be a little bit different. And you probably don't have this kind of deal if it's a normal offseason. The Mets probably have to make a much more painful deal. Maybe they have to give up a Matthew Allen or a Brett Beatty or whoever might be their top prospect. So the Mets are in a great position now. They are in a position where they could go out and now they could sit back a little bit and play the long game with these big guys. Still kind of round out the roster with value-driven signings. And I know they talked about the luxury tax and not wanting to go over. And I think politically, it would drive the commissioner nuts if Cohen did it year one. And the only way to really shave payroll, which has been talked about, is with Familia and Batances. I was looking at the contracts yesterday. Familia and Batances. Familia is the biggest one at $11 bucks. Uh, I don't know how you would shave Familia and Batances. I don't think you could shave either one of them because anybody that you send them over to, you have to pay their salary. Now, you might be playing the luxury tax game, so they may do that. But I don't see where those two relievers at their prices, even if the Mets picked up half, Batances maybe more so, but they picked up half of what it is where teams would be running and say, sure, let, let me help you, Mets. And I, I I don't have the CBA in front of me. I'm, I'm assuming if the Mets pay some money, I don't think it counts because the luxury tax is based on average annual value of the salaries on the roster plus benefits and everything. So I don't know how that factors in. It may, uh, you know, it'll be something interesting because the Mets could probably, from a budgetary standpoint, fit Springer in or even Bauer and go a little lower year one and then bump it up years two, three, four, whatever, how long the contract is. But that's not going to help them with the luxury tax. So it will be interesting to see what they do. But when the opportunity is there and a guy like Springer says, I want to play here and you have a chance to really go big, and take the next step. And remember, that was the criticism in the heyday before the Madoff situation. That was the criticism of the Wilpons where they would go. I remember an article, I believe it was Joel Sherman of the Post, wrote it. The Mets went big on 8, 9, 10 on the roster. So the top 10, 12 players were awesome. And then from 13 to 25, and then especially from 25 to 40, 
they would skimp, and then ultimately they would lose because they didn't have the pitching depth, or they didn't have the bullpen depth, or they couldn't sustain any kind of stretch of injuries. So they were very tied in, or top-heavy would be the word. The Mets are not like that now, nor nor do I think their owner is going to say skimp. But there's also other things that they have to invest in, as you know. Um, This doesn't come without risk. Like I said earlier, maybe Isaiah Green becomes a star in four years. Uh, maybe Jimenez and Rosario, uh, you know, develop into something much different and better in a different environment like Cleveland. Lindor, Keith Law said it. You look at the numbers; he's not been as good the last couple of years, and his plate discipline clearly from his numbers is not the same. Uh, but he's a guy that's going to hit home runs, he's going to steal bases, and he's going to play elite defense. And maybe other than uh, Trevor Story in Colorado, is probably the best defensive shortstop in all of baseball. And you could argue either way. Carrasco, we just talked about with his uh, health injuries. So this doesn't come without risk. We don't know how these guys are going to work out. Does Lindor leave? Does Lindor like playing here? We have no idea. Slow down a little bit, by the way, on the Gary Carter-Mike Piazza equivalent talk about trades. This is the first big move of the Steve Cohen era, so I think it's being blasted out in a media narrative way. But Piazza was an organization game-changer. That organization needed life, and he's a Hall of Famer. Lindor is symbolic, but he's not game-changer in terms of the organization. He's another very good player on a team that has a lot of very good players, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And Carter was the missing piece to a championship. The Mets still need pieces on this team. Is Lindor going to be that guy? Maybe he is. Maybe because he's athletic and he has a smile and... I don't. I haven't been exposed to him in any way, shape, or form, so I can't say. But before we make those pro- proclamations, let's hear one interview with the guy. Let's see him play one season in New York. The Gary Carter, Keith Hernandez, Mike Piazza trades were way different. Piazza was a star, and he breathed life into this organization. I was. I'm a bit of fan. I I lived these the, that one. I remember Chase Stadium before, and I remember it after. And all due respect to Francisco Lindor, City Field was going to be packed when there's fans back in the stands, whether he came here or not. It wasn't going to be the case if Piazza didn't come to the Mets. And there'd be no golden era of Subway Series or Subway Series in 2000. Or a generation of Mets fans probably became Mets fans when Piazza came on board. And I'm not sure that's going to happen with Lindor, but we'll see. The Mets have never leveraged the door openings they've had over the last 30 years. They had that good run in the 80s, and then things went bad. I won't count that one. But when they had the opportunity to take over the city and win the Subway Series, they lost that series, and then they didn't go out and get A-Rod, and they they fell back. And then 2006, and you know what happened with the collapse and Madoff. And then 2015, and you know what happened with that as well. Now they have an opportunity to seize this moment. The Yankees are on the back burner. They're looked at as yesterday's news. They're being criticized for not spending. The media doesn't even talk about them. All the uh, media championships, all the platitudes, none of it's being talked about. Mets have a chance to not just win a back page on January 8th, but to really sustain and move forward with smart front office guys. And I've been critical of Sandy Alderson, but look, the guy's experienced and done so many things in the game. And you've got an owner with deep pockets who can be a version of Steinbrenner without the craziness who still, I was going to say, is the Steve Cohen honeymoon over? If he can handle the heat and go back at the fans in a fun, 
professional way, then God bless him. He'll do something that very few coaches and even media types have been able to do, much less owners. And one other thing before we wrap up. You all hated, and I said this a little earlier, you all hated Brody Van Wagenen. And nobody really gives him the pass in terms of working in the crazy financial environment that the Wilpons were without a budget, a moving budget, lack of cash flow. And an experienced executive like Sandy Alderson struggled with it big time. Imagine a guy who's an agent who had a lot of good ideas and, and I think was a salesman and was a really good asset when he was down at the table with the players. And I wonder what money what a Brody Van Wagenen could do in terms of recruiting players. Maybe they don't need that anymore now because Steve Cohen in his presence makes it less necessary to do that. But what he was able to put together with his scouting department, which is still there and has been there a while, in the last two drafts, we're going big and being able to sign. Remember, he's also trying to sign. He's the guy trying to sign a Matthew Allen and being able to pick guys that normally would go to college they were able to to close a deal with a Scott Boris. His ability to do that made this trade possible where the Mets can do it without harming their five, top five, six, seven prospects. Everybody criticizes the Mets farm system, and I think a lot of that has to do with media marketing and perception, sometimes not based on fact. And a lot of their players that are very good and very high-end, Alvarez, Mauricio, Allen, guys like that, are very far away, so they're not going to help the Mets in 2021 or 2022. Maybe not till 2024, depending on their age and where they are in their development. So it doesn't get the same cachet because of the, the, the uneasiness of projectability. But without Brody Van Wagenen's two drafts, and that may be his legacy, it may not be Jared Kelnick all the time, because we don't know what Jared Kelnick's going to be. I'm tired of hearing about Jared Kelnick. That Brody began the process of turning the Mets around and then was part of that, like, those guys that come in are the sacrificial figures in a team turnaround. You know, the, the really, like R.A. Dickey, great seasons in, you know, in in a time when the Mets weren't really good. And then he brings you Syndergaard and, and Darno and you get to the World Series. So he's he's a piece of it. He just didn't, you didn't he wasn't part of the, the fun times, maybe. Maybe that's where Brody Van Wagenen's legacy is. And maybe his way of conducting the draft because the guys that are there that uh, are that are still there were under him. Maybe the Mets make it a trend, especially with Cohen's money. Maybe they've they've found a market inefficiency. And then you could dominate the, the seniors as you go into the later rounds because you've run out of all your, your money, so you have to go senior route. And maybe now you get the best pick of the seniors. Maybe it's, a, it's an interesting strategy that maybe will be employed. Sports is a copycat situation. So let's not forget that. Give credit where credit is due. And I and I thought of that yesterday. And I know everybody hates hearing Brody and they don't want to hear about the Wilpons or anything that has to do with the old Mets regime. But I think it's important for us to, to keep that in mind. All right. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this special edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I want to thank all of you for uh, tuning in and, and being loyal and leaving me a review or doing what you do. And uh, we'll be back with another edition soon. Uh, I'm going to try to see what we could come up with and maybe try to get some perspective on these players from those who have covered them. So I'm working on that. Um, We'll try to get back to a regularly scheduled Sunday podcast going forward. Now it's a new year. I can't believe we're talking about 2021. Uh, Time flies, I guess, when you're having fun. And pitchers and catchers, assuming that the schedule stays the same, and it sounds like it will, pitchers and catchers are about a month away, right around the corner. 
we're going to be talking baseball and spring training games and opening days a lot closer than you think, assuming everything stays on, on schedule. All right, you can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Of course, you can send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy your weekend. Bask in the glory of this trade and the hot stove season kicking off for the Mets and for MLB, and we'll be back with more Talking Mets pretty soon. Till then, be well and take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.